This afternoon I preach to you the work of the Spirit as he leads us in true repentance and conversion. As the church confesses this in Lord's Day 33 of the Heidelberg Catechism, That's on page 549 of the Book of Praise. Here the church confesses what is the true repentance or conversion of man. It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith in accordance with the law of God and to his glory and not those based on our own opinion or on precepts of men. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, a 500-mile journey begins with the first step. And although that first step is important because it expresses your desire to make the journey and what direction you would like to go, it needs to be followed by many, many, many more steps in which you will see face to face the consequences of that first step that you made. The consequences of our first decision we find in life are often more difficult to deal with than the original steps. It's a big decision, for example, it's a big decision to take that first step to marry somebody and commit to serving that person in good days and bad, in riches and in poverty, and in health and in sickness. It's another matter to hold fast to that commitment without wavering in good days and bad, in health and sickness, in riches and in poverty. Only the test of time when, that, when the rubber hits the road can prove the sincerity of our commitment. And the same can be said about the profession of our faith. After we enlist in the army of the Lord whose mark and emblem we bear in baptism, we must continue to follow our good shepherd even if he takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. Standing up and declaring that we belong to the Lord brings many more troubles. Look at the epistles the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, look at the letter to the Hebrews, look at the Lord Jesus' words to the churches in the first chapters, chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. They're full of descriptions of persecution, suffering for the faith. We read some of those in that chapter 11 of Hebrews, very memorable description of the suffering of following Jesus Christ. And the people of God are repeatedly warned against backsliding, about allowing their love to grow cold. Repeatedly it is made clear that true conversion and faith are shown by standing fast and, and holding, or standing firm and holding fast to our confession. 
And so Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, let us run with endurance, with endurance, the race that is set before us. Scripture makes it clear that true conversion is proven by the endurance of believers who are preserved in their faith by God. In practice, that means that true repentance and sanctification, they are a continual, it is a deliberate process to stay on the path of the promises. It's a series of daily godly decisions to remain in Christ Jesus, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. The gospel of true conversion, which is not inferior to creation or the resurrection from the dead, is that Christians are able to see evidence of God's grace in us because we constantly and with heartfelt longing seek to glorify him in every decision of our lives. I preach you the gospel of salvation under this theme. True conversion is a lifetime of daily godly decisions. In this we consider our chosen direction, which is out of true faith, the present decision, the decision we have to make in the moment, guided by God's law, and our final destination, what we're aiming for. We confess that all good works are done out of true faith. The starting point for all our lives is what we believe about God and who we are in Him. This worldview will determine the direction of your life. And the book of Hebrews is clear that everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus will be saved from the wrath of God and will be set on the path of life. We are taken out of darkness and put into His light and his law is written on our hearts. This means that every decision we make in this life can be made with confidence, full assurance of all that we have in God. Hebrews 13 verse 6 says he will never leave us. He will never abandon us. We belong to him forever. He will never turn us away. We never have to make decisions in our lives out of desperation, as if we lack anything from God, and that we need to turn away from Him to find fulfillment. Our faith in Jesus Christ gives us the starting point for unapologetic confidence in this life. True conversion and true repentance, the same, same thing, this true change, it's a, a daily recognition that we belong to God in Christ Jesus. And we no longer belong among the rebels who offend God with their sins that also the letter to the Hebrews deals with at the end of chapter 10. Hebrews 11 verse 6 states very clearly, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who who seek him. And then if you look in Hebrews 10, verses 32 to 34, as he's explaining what faith does to you, you can see how our joy in God through Christ causes believers to do amazing things. Our faith shows itself in our personal choices. 
When believers first come to the faith, they are overwhelmed with the, the power and the love of God. And their commitment to the gospel sustains them powerfully. The writer to the Hebrews celebrates the church's commitment and faith when they first repented. He says, uh, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So why did the church do these things? You see that at the end. They knew, they knew of the fullness they had in God. They knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one. They were simply acting out of their faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 tells you that faith is that assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things that are not seen. Hebrews 11 then goes on to, to describe faith. And it shows the fruit of faith is a series of daily godly decisions of, of good works. And when you look at what they all did from the immediate perspective, you'll see that all they were doing was making a good decision every day, sticking to the path that their faith directed them in. It is because the cloud of witnesses believed in the holiness of God and the value of living according to his will that they did these great things. Their souls were firmly anchored in Jesus Christ who was in heaven and they lived in the knowledge that the great day of Christ's revelation is coming. And they were looking forward as we all are to the city not made with hands whose builder and architect is God. And we see in all the decisions of your life, it is what you believe, your faith, that determines the direction you will want to go and the direction you do not want to go. So what does this look like when we are faced with a decision that we have to make right now? We can only endure and hold fast to our confession when we also consider how carefully God is guiding us with his law. We see that in the second point, that our present decision is guided by God's law. Once we are on the path that is set forth for us because of our faith in God, and he puts his spirit in our hearts to, to guide us, give us that divine inner guidance, you will see that Christians, that we want to live in a manner that is worthy of our calling. Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25 explain that since we have confidence to trust in the Lord, we want to draw near to God in full assurance of faith. And then it says in, in verse 22, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We notice then that our good works are related to our hearts and to our bodies. True repentance and conversion can be seen only when we stir one another on, and you can see that in verse 24, to love the heart and good works, acting out with our bodies. And when we seek God's law at all times, 
without wavering. So what a blessing it is for us to know then that God has written his law on our hearts and minds. We can trust the Holy Spirit as he guides us to make godly decisions every day. And the gospel of Pentecost that we celebrate today is that the external regulations of the law have been etched into our very hearts so that they are internal realities, things that we now desire with our new hearts. Every day the law of God written on our hearts helps us to do what Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 says, to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us. True repentance and conversion is shown by our desire to keep on, keeping on, as the saying goes, without wavering or growing weary or faint-hearted. So what are the kinds of decisions that you are faced with in your lives? If we look back to Hebrews, we see that he gives several examples. Hebrews 10, verse 25, gives the example, quite a practical example. We see every week again the example of deciding whether or not to worship together with other believers. Hebrews 10, verse 25. And then Hebrews 12, verse 14, reveals that the Holy Spirit within us wants us to strive for, first, peace with everyone, and second, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That means we have to make decisions every day whenever someone says something unkind to us or someone gossips about us or, or dishonors us or hurts us. How can I, as one with the Holy Spirit in my heart, saved by Jesus Christ, how can I strive for peace with that person day in and day out. And the Holy Spirit also makes Christians want to make decisions that promote holiness, being separate from the world and dedicated to God our Savior. Sometimes we need to make big decisions like where we will live or what we will do for work or who we will marry. Sometimes they are small decisions like whether or not it is appropriate to say something to another person or to participate in a particular activity or refrain from participating or even to wear a certain outfit. Each of these daily decisions reveal who is guiding us in our lives. Is it our own opinions? Is it the precepts of men? Or is it the Holy Spirit and the law that he has written in our hearts? Are we constantly meditating on the law of God like we sing in Psalm 1? Or do we find that we have ignored the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And as a result, we make many decisions in an unspiritual way. Do we still live and make our decisions out of faith and in accordance with the law of God? Or are we doing what we read in Hebrews 10, verse 38, shrinking back so that, like we read in 11, verse 16, that God is ashamed to be called our God? 
like the church that first heard this Hebrew sermon. We have need, as we read in chapter 10, verse 36, we have need of endurance. And by the grace of God, those who belong to Jesus Christ are not, and you can read this in verse 39 of chapter 10, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so what is it that we're persevering for? By the grace of God, his children always will, be, will remember that we have been made to glorify God with our lives. And the knowledge of this highest goal and this final destination will always guide us in our daily decisions. If you look at the, the second part of Hebrews 12, it speaks of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It shows us the goal of true repentance and conversion, that is, that, that eternal worship service of God in the heaven where he receives all the glory from, from all those whom he has redeemed in Jesus Christ. And we were reminded that we were made to glorify God. And when we believe in Jesus Christ and we are led by his Holy Spirit, this is what we will do. Then we are citizens of Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And we eagerly anticipate the day when we will glorify him with all our hearts, and all our minds, and all our souls, and all our strength. And we show this by the daily decisions we make today. Good works are those that are done to the glory of God, we confess. Good works are those decisions that, that reflect who God really is and, and how much he has really loved us and how much he has changed us. If a decision we make in our lives does not glorify God, we confess it is not a good work. It is not a good decision. We even confess that if our faith in the glorious future leads us to do something beneficial for others, but we are not motivated by a desire to glorify God first of all, then that is not a good work. It, it isn't something that comes from the Holy Spirit. And perhaps this is the biggest difference between Christians who have been truly changed and converted by the Holy Spirit and everyone else who is involved in doing good things. The big question, what is your motivation? What is our motivation for deciding to meet together with other believers on a Sunday? Why should we resist the temptation to spend a night with our boss in order to get a much-needed promotion? Why are we eager for eternal rest? Is it just because it is worth it for ourselves? Did the great cloud of witnesses make godly decisions throughout their lives simply because they were being selfish and they knew, as the saying goes, on which side the bread was buttered? Are we eager to earn something? Is that is what's motivating us? And the Bible tells you that if you are motivated to do good things by the thought that you will earn something in return, or that you will make God obligated to return the favor, you actually don't understand how holy God is, 
how sinful you are and how much every Christian depends completely on the grace of God first of all. You don't understand that we love because he first loved us. You see, when the Holy Spirit is reigning in our hearts, then our first love is always directed to God and to his glory. Well, I know that in my life, in our lives, we often struggle with selfish motives for our good works. And so we're called and encouraged to pray often and in all humility that God will lead us by his Spirit to recognize that when we believe in God and in Jesus Christ, there really is nothing more for us to earn. May the Holy Spirit help us to see this as the, the starting point, to see that Christ has already done everything for us out of mere grace, and that all that is left for us to do is to, to be who he has made us to be, creatures who glorify God with all of their being and in every part of our lives. And you see, when we aren't doing everything simply and above all for the glory of God, that doesn't help us to persevere. It doesn't help our endurance. Pride makes us want approval. We like to have likes. But many times the right thing to do is not the popular thing to do. Think about your own lives. How many times have we stopped doing a good thing because we weren't getting something out of it? How much thankless work has been abandoned because it was being done for personal approval, for, for good feelings, rather than for the glory of God, first of all? But what happens when our decisions to do something our decision to persevere, when that's driven by our desire to glorify God, when it doesn't depend on the opinions of others, when we live our lives not out of desperation to try get approval, to try get something out of it for ourselves, but out of the fullness and the completeness that we already have in Jesus Christ, it changes how we live our lives. The father or mother who does her work for the glory of God can love his or her children unconditionally without expecting anything in return and be satisfied and be encouraged because it is to the glory of God. The pastor or elder will not shrink back from the hard visits because it isn't about them. The addict will persist in fighting his addictions, not just for the well-being of himself and not even for the well-being of his family, but because in the first place he wants to glorify God, his maker, who has saved him by grace alone. The pro-life advocate will not give up because of the opposition. You see, brothers and sisters, we don't do anything for ourselves in the first place. We don't even do them for others in the first place, but we do them for the glory of God 
and his spirit will guide us in these steps with daily godly decisions as we persevere in them. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has done everything for us already. That's our starting point. And he will not give his glory to another. And since we have been given true faith, the Holy Spirit writes God's law upon our hearts so that more and more, that is exactly what we desire to do. The law is directing us always to glorify God. And we will do that every step of the way with every decision we need to make. You can break down your life in, in a series of decisions every day. We want to live out of faith in the work of Jesus Christ and not out of the teachings and the opinions of men. Human logic fails when it's compared to the divine wisdom of God that is revealed in his word. Anything we choose to do and that we justify doing because we we'd feel that we can't really trust that God will keep his promise to never abandon us, when we do it out of a lack of faith, that's a bad decision. And so we also need to know and love, hold dearly to the commandments as a guide to help us with the practical considerations of our decision-making. It's a part of our thankfulness. We will be able to look at the Ten Commandments in the, in the next Sundays as we continue to see what God, how God leads us in our daily decisions. God showed us how things work. He revealed to us how He made us. He told us that He wants to make wants us to make all our decisions out of love for him and for our neighbor. And so daily, we ask God to give us the strength to hate and flee from sins that offend him, including those, of course, that then harm our neighbor. And daily, we return to the joyful gospel of our salvation in Jesus Christ. We live out of that joy, out of that delight, out of that confidence, the fullness we have in God. The promise of Pentecost that we celebrate today is that the Holy Spirit who worked faith into your heart, who led you to love the triune God, to submit to him at the beginning of this journey, in the first steps. He's the same Holy Spirit who lives in the hearts of all, who, all believers to carry you to your destination one step at a time, every decision along the way. Let us believe in him, submit to his guiding hand, and glorify him every day. And we'll see that God holds us fast to the confession of our hope, steadfast and secure. Amen.